Katie, how's it going? Good, Jesse. Something kind of exciting happened today. It's about time. Yeah, so I was at the dog park this morning, and by dog park, I mean the school where um, I run the dog off leash, and I was talking to this woman. The school for dogs? A, school for a dogs. dog school? Yeah. So I was talking to this woman. She was probably in her, she was older. She was like maybe late 70s, early 80s, also running her dog illegally off leash. Her dogs were playing, and we were talking about, there, so there's one guy who goes to this place where we run the dogs illegally, and he always complains about how we're running the dogs illegally. He wants them to be on a leash. And I told her, it's the same guy. And I told her, I said, you know, last time, last time this happened, I had my headphones in and I just pretended I couldn't hear him. And she said, oh my God, the last time I saw him, he said something to me. And I, and she, she got, she looked very ashamed when she said this. She said, I pretended to be disabled. And she started like waving her arms around and like kind of moaning. (laughs) So she, I don't know what sort of, disease or disorder she was pretending to have anyway so the exciting thing is that now i have a new best friend that's awesome a disabled best friend yes i I have found i have found my person she's very old that's stolen valor right (laughs) stolen disabled valor she said that it came from her theater upbringing she said she didn't know where it came from it was just her theater upbringing i like that her idea of being disabled is you just wave your arms around and moan what what disability is that exactly maybe Tourette's I don't know but not like TikTok Tourette's it wasn't like cute Tourette's Katie we have a lot to get to today so what is the name of this increasingly fake disabled podcast this is blocked and reported and I'm Katie Herzog and I'm Jesse Single Katie I am told by you that you're going to tell me a very complicated story that you think might take two episodes to unspool Jesse, this is my Keffels. This is my Keffels. You, you finally found your Keffels. And we can only hope it is a quarter as utterly long. mesmerizing <laughs> and long. It's better for me. The more, the longer this is, the less work I have to do. I would love for this to take two episodes. I've got pizza to eat, mm-hmm. Slay the Spire to play. I've got a lot going on. Um, so you're going to tell me that story. But first, uh, you have a major major pronunciation correction and apology to issue to the world. As many, many listeners message me, it turns out that... Can I just say, you initially said many viewers, so you had to correct your correction. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm actually live streaming this right now. Uh, Yes, so on our last episode, I spent an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how to pronounce the name Julian? 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 I didn't ever figure it out. Julian. You still still haven't... Nailed it down no. two weeks later. I know. I have. Okay. I also have Tourette's. Uh, I did not spend any time trying to figure out how to pronounce his last name, which I pronounce phonetically, Mogum. It is actually pronounced Mom, which I should have known because there is a famed British author, Somerset Mom. Uh, I was an English major. I have read him. And I somehow did not put those two together. In my defense, I would like to say also, this. In in our in both of our languages, British English and American English, G-H is usually... Silent, correct? Am I wrong about this? If Brits wanted me to pronounce words that way, they shouldn't have lost the fucking war. Yes. Yeah. A lot of uh, drama there. Um, I guess what- and, and by the way, why didn't you correct me? You love correcting me. If this was so easy- I had no idea how to pronounce- I didn't do the segment. That's the thing. That's what's weird about it is like you did a good job on the segment. You dove into <laughs> this guy's rich history- <laughs> But you never bothered to learn how to pronounce his name, which is such an easy thing to check. I know. I did. I did. I pro- I did learn how to pronounce his name. His first name. I watched like seven videos about it, of his, of his first name. But you didn't even, what's it, so without checking, what, how do you pronounce his first name? Julian. Juli- Julian. Julian. No, Julian. You, you, you don't have one consistent, okay. <laughs> Joe. His name this is, is Joe. Okay. When I do, when I do your mid-year performance review, this is definitely going to be an area area of improvement. Uh, I'm going to fire you before that happens. So, Katie apologizes to everyone for not being able to... Uh, not everyone. Literally everyone. That out of the way, Katie, uh, we also have a couple of emails we want to get to. We do. Uh, this one begins, hey, Katie, Jesse, I'm an electrician in Portland, Oregon. The general contractor on my job site has recently subscribed to the RiseUpForEquity.org program. This means that every Monday morning, along with the already bureaucratic nightmare of pre-task plans, safety talks, and job site pass-downs, we now have to review scripts like the attached. And the attached is a document from this group, Rise Up for Equity. RISE stands for Respect, Inclusion, Safety, and Equity. Uh, This is an organization that specifically focuses on construction, 
It's an offshoot of an organization that started in the 80s to increase women in the trades. Jesse, uh, why don't you read from this document the listeners sent us? Sample job box talk script, pronouns. Today in the continuation of our respectful workplace campaign, we're going to talk about pronouns. Katie, do I really have to read this? Yes. I'm just going to get to some of the highlights because it basically just explains what pronouns are. If someone indicates they want to be addressed with specific pronouns, it is our responsibility to try to do this and to do it without commentary or negativity. If you make a mistake, apologize and move on. Misgendering people is illegal in the states of Washington and Oregon. Is this true? Jesse, if misgendering is illegal in the state of Washington, I'm going to have the ferry attendant who continually asks if I'm my wife's son arrested. Uh, I don't think it is. However... Wait, this ferry attendant has repeatedly asked if you are Jana's son. And I always say yes because kids get a cheaper fare. I, I, I don't... This is a difficult thing for me to ask. Are are you? <laughs> Stepson. Stepson. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. However... When it comes to, so it's sort of a weird sentence because no, like blanket misgendering is not illegal in the states of Washington or Oregon. Washington and Oregon, much to the chagrin of uh, some of my former colleagues, I believe, uh, actually does still abide by the First Amendment. However, discrimination in public accommodations and employment is is illegal, as is harassment. And according to state law, harassment does include, quote, the deliberate misuse of an individual's preferred name, form of address, or gender-related pronoun, and this is in parentheses, except on legally mandated documentation if the individual has not officially obtained a name change. So it's not illegal to have an ID that doesn't reflect your new name and pronoun. It is, however, possibly illegal on a job site in a workplace situation to misgender someone that could be seen as discrimination or harassment. But I like to imagine how this would go specifically on a construction site. Like, Jim Bob, you cannot call Frank she, her anymore. It's illegal. Or maybe it'd be more likely to be Jose. (laughs) And then Jose is like, I understand because I am Latinx. Latinx. Exactly. And my people historically don't see gender as a binary. Exactly. Yes. This is obviously a Portland construction company. Makes sense. Yeah. I just, I like, what do you think about this sort of moving this for lack of a better term, woke bullshit into trades. I mean, it was a weird doc. Like mandating. It was a weird it. document. If state law is that you have to respect pronouns, if that's now you know uh, the rough equivalent of what sexual harassment training used to be, why wouldn't they have training programs to teach people about pronouns? Do you think this also includes calling people they when they don't want to be they? Because if so, I totally support this. <laughs> If you call me they again, I will have you arrested. <laughs> I mean, the to to be fair, none of these laws are like it's discriminatory to misgender someone once. They have to do with like repeated acts of uh, misgendering. But um, yes, I would like this fairy woman who keeps asking you that to be imprisoned. I'm I'm just pro incarceration in general. Oh, Jesse, she's a man. She's a man. Well, there's a sentence. You just got arrested. I just got. I just misgendered. You're back in HIPAA jail. <laughs> Anyway, okay, I want to I want to go back to this document quickly. At one point, it says expectations. We expect our employees to use the pronoun offered. Avoid assuming. When in doubt, just ask, or you can open the door by offering your pronoun. And this again is to me, this is the sort of stuff that, when forced in environments where it do, it like natu- doesn't naturally organically work, can be really uncomfortable. Like like a while ago, I heard from a, a public radio reporter who covers extremism, and. NPR, her, her like local member station, mandates that you ask people after you interview them these demographic details like their race, yeah. their gender, their probably not their sex, probably just their gender stuff like that. And so, for this reporter who is interviewing extremists to at the interview be like, "And by the way, can you just tell me your pronoun?" Like it makes it makes the reporter look like a they really mandate it. They enforce yeah, well, that? it's you. They collect That's this information. The, the the member stations collect the information and then they so, evaluate it. Hey, so you go to the the woman who covers extremism, right wing extremism, and you're like, I've noticed uh, way too many of the white supremacists you're interviewing are white, <laughs> white guys. cisgender men. Yeah. I find I've yeah. I've seen like <laughs> hints of this, like that you should go out of your way to interview diverse people, even if that means like I just I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's how the world works. I think diversity is important in a lot of ways, but like some areas are for whatever reason dominated by certain groups and you can both wish that weren't the case 
it's just weird, man. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be interviewed if someone was like, we're interviewing you not because we think you're the most relevant person, but because you're Jewish or because you're amazing at Slay the Spire mm-hmm. or super handsome. I wouldn't feel no. good about that. Yeah. I mean, and I think this started as a good faith effort to diversify the sort of experts that people would bring into the media. I think there's some a lot of validity to that. But then it expands in scope. So all of a sudden you have reporters asking like militiamen outside of a state house what their preferred pronouns are. Hey, Katie, we're just uh, wrapping up some end-of-the-year <laughs> paperwork. Um, I saw that in your story <laughs> where you interviewed Carl Rogers, Grand Wizard of the KKK. Uh, <laughs> can we just get what race he is? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It turns out that white supremacists can be any race. Mm-hmm. And any race, uh, people of any race can be politically black as well. True. Uh, let's... I'm so tempted to dive into Cleopatra discourse, but we're not going to do it. I'm going to do that annoying thing where I just say, read the New York Times op-ed about Cleopatra possibly being black, except not really, except she is, except she isn't. It's a mind fuck. <laughs> she identifies as black from the grave, from the tomb. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, is that all you got on the, the woke construction workers? That's all I got. Okay, we also got a critical email. We like getting smart critical emails. I thought this was a good faith one, so I'm going to read it and respond to a couple things. This was about uh, Jordan Neely... The homeless guy, uh, man, who was choked to death on the subway. Quote, I have been an avid listener of the podcast since its inception, have followed you through the Patreon to Substack Migration, and attended the live show in Boston. I'm also a big fan of the Quick Fix. Oh, you're the one. <laughs> this morning, I listened to episode... <laughs> what? Talking about Why are you moaning? Who cares? I didn't. (laughs) You just added that. Nobody has ever said that. I have a life outside this podcast. Yeah, Slay the Spire is. Have I mentioned Slay the Spire? I killed the heart on Ascension (laughs) Fifteen. No, most people did it because you. Okay, we had a comment that literally congratulated me. This was the premium episode we published yesterday. Someone congratulated me, and you thought it was boring. This is the content people want. It's still boring. I don't want to talk about this. I'm just going to pick up at random in this email. I'm also a big fan of the quick fix. <sighs> this morning, I listened to episode 163 and had a difficult time with it. I'm not sure why, but this episode bothered me. Uh, skipping forward a little. few thoughts. Victim blaming. It might be my own hypersensitivity, but I, I thought there was a strong emphasis on Neely's criminal record. Although you explicitly stated that a violent past doesn't give anyone the right to kill someone in a chokehold, the overall tone seemed to focus on his quote-unquote violent past without giving equal consideration to the motivations, history, and mental state of Daniel Penny. Uh, Systematic issues, he just sort of accuses us of not really focusing on systematic issues. Um, Said I was insensitive for calling Jordan Neely, quote, the dead guy at one point. Uh, And then also said we might have misrepresented progressive arguments uh, about this stuff. So, oh, specifically that we said progressives, some progressives are arguing that you should just like deal with disorder and and menacing people on the subway um, rather than get police involved or, or the city involved somehow. So he finishes, overall, I agree that there is a rush to make the situation about race. It's important to question why the commentary moves so quickly towards a racial lens while overlooking mental health, drugs, and homelessness as contributing factors. Uh, so when I said the dead guy, I think the context was just more or less like that he's the biggest victim in all this. I speak in a colloquial way on the show. I'm not that worried about that. But the victim blaming thing, tell me if I'm wrong, Katie, but I feel like mentioning his violent criminal past is relevant for a few reasons. One is that like a lot of people and reporting are basically pretending Jordan nearly killed a guy just for saying he was hungry right. and frustrated. Right. There was like what appears to be some pretty big misinformation about about uh, Jordan Neely, right? Yeah, which is why we talked about it on the show. Yeah, and and I feel like the fact that he's been very violent in the past should both nudge up our est- our probability uh, that he was acting in a way passengers would genuinely find menacing, and should also nudge up our you know estimated probability that if Penny hadn't intervened, Neely might have hurt someone. So those are pretty big questions, given that only a small number of people were eyewitnesses. I, I think it's also relevant because. You know, you saw headlines like like the Guardian's headline was Jordan Neely, man killed by writer's chokehold was talented dancer. There just seemed to be this desire on the part of a lot of commentators to ignore the reality of the, of what the situation was at that at at the exact moment that this was happening, which wasn't a Michael Jordan impersonator, you know, busking Michael Jackson. Oh, sorry. It definitely wasn't a Michael Jordan impersonator. <laughs> a Michael Jackson impersonator, who very problematic by the way, you know, busking 
it was somebody who was apparently in the in the midst of like a mental crisis or was being aggressive or whatever. So all of that just seems relevant to painting a a more accurate picture of this guy's life and, and what happened. This definitely doesn't yeah. mean that we think that he deserved it. We definitely don't. I like I personally obviously there's gonna be an investigation and we don't know the full story of what happened, but my impulse is that the guy who killed him should face criminal charges, manslaughter. And it looks like that's what's going to happen. He's facing secondary manslaughter charges. Uh, anyway, yeah. I don't think either of us is like, no, he's definitely innocent and shouldn't spend time in jail. It was more this just ridiculous. Again, people use the term lynching unironically. I saw I saw a video posted by some right winger of like protesters blocking people, including a black guy from trying to get off a train. And another black guy in the group of protesters says something like they're lynching us out here. It's it not helpful to portray something like this. Like lynchings were a very horrible specific thing this is not what that was but anyway i really wanted to focus on the um this idea that like of ignoring root causes because i sort of think that's exactly what some progressives were doing roxanne gay was literally being like don't make this about homelessness or mental illness make it about i guess like for white for uh male fragility and murder so there was just a lot of like sloganeering about this among the people who did talk about root causes. So people endlessly said New York City failed this guy. New York City, you know, has no um, sympathy for for mentally ill people, lacked the services to help him. But after one of Jordan Neely's violent assaults, he was given an opportunity to go into a treatment program. Um so it's just sloganeering and oversimplification to be like, well, the city just neglected him and wouldn't give him any opportunities. By the time we recorded the podcast, it had already been reported that he'd had a chance to enter an alternative to incarceration program. Here's more details the Times published May 7th. In November 2021, Mr. Neely's aggression seemed to peak when he punched a 67-year-old woman in the street on the Lower East Side, the police said. The woman suffered severe facial injuries, including a broken nose, according to court documents. He was charged with assault and, awaiting the resolution of his case, spent 15 months in jail, the police said, though his family said the stint was shorter. He pleaded guilty on February 9th of this year in a carefully planned strategy between the city and his lawyers to allow him to get treatment and stay out of prison. Dot, dot, dot. He was to go from court to live at a treatment facility in the Bronx and stay clean for 15 months. In return, his felony conviction would be reduced. He promised to take his medication and to avoid drugs and not to leave the facility without permission. Dot, dot, dot. In March, an outreach worker saw him in the subway, cleanly dressed, calm and subdued, and got him a ride to a shelter in the Bronx. But a downward spiral followed. On April 8th, when outreach workers approached him in a subway car at the end of the line in Coney Island... Mr. Neely urinated in front of him. When an outreach worker went to call the police, according to a worker's notes, Mr. Neely shouted, quote, just wait until they get here. I got something for you. Just wait and see, end quote. Officers arrived and ejected Mr. Neely from the train, apparently unaware of the arrest warrant. So it's painful to admit that like the world isn't always simple, as simple as like, oh, if we just put more money into social services, mm -hmm. if the city just finally treated homeless people well, justice would blossom. Things are often more complicated than that, to, to resort to my catchphrase. Like, people, it's painful to admit that people don't always take the help they're offered or they're too fucked up to do so. They're pissing on trains or in train stations. You can understand why, if you're in a situation like Jordan Neely's, like, you might not want to take the help. It probably isn't fun to live in a shelter or to get treated. In some cases, living on the street might seem like a better alternative, but like, to endlessly repeat, that New York City failed the guy. So that explains this whole thing when, when he was very well known to like the heroic social worker types who try to help the city's most vulnerable. It just doesn't sit right with me. It's not telling the story accurately. Yeah. It's interesting to me that this guy got so much attention. Like he does not seem to be someone who fell through the cracks. He was on some list of the 50, I don't, do you remember the language? The 50 most. It was either 50 or a hundred. Yeah. Like some um, city program has a list of like the 50 or a hundred people on the streets they're most worried about and think are in most need of services. He was on that list. Right. And this is not to say that the outcome was always going to be terrible. Like it's possible that there could have been some intervention at some point that, help this guy get off the streets for good. But some people are just really crazy. And, you know, yeah. that's that's life. Partly because they've been through, in this case, Trauma. partly because yeah. he'd been through horrible shit. His mom was murdered and her body found in a briefcase in New Jersey or a suitcase. Like, that's awful. He lived through horrible shit. He also victimized a lot of people. He was a very violent guy. And that's part of the story here, if you're a journalist and want to tell it accurately. 
Yeah. Um, actually, last point on that. I, I know this is already going long, but like this idea that we're caricaturing progressives who say that people should just grin and bear it when there's like crazy menacing people around. I think I disagree with that because we we told the story of this poor dog that was. Katie, don't start crying. You have, you have a long segment <laughs> to do. A dog literally named Moose who was killed in Prospect Park by a crazy homeless guy. And a city councilwoman spokesperson said on uh, like openly said, we don't think the NYPD should be involved. This is after someone like attacked a woman and her dog and killed the dog. It is unfortunately a mainstream position among some progressive criminal justice reform types that like you just can't get the police involved under almost any circumstances. Like I'm sure a murderer, maybe they'd relent and say you shouldn't get the cops involved. But even here, Jordan Neely was like assaulting random people, including a 67 year old woman. And the only response is like, get him more mental health treatment. Like some people should not be wandering the streets because they are a danger to both others and themselves. That's end of soapbox spiel. Yeah. And if you uh, want justice for Moose, that is the dog that was killed by the homeless man in New York, you can go to our merch store and buy Panthers <laughs> t-shirts. You're monetizing the murder of a dog. That's barpoundmerch.org. Have you no decency? <laughs> Should we just do housekeeping before we get to your mega segment? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, we're a podcast, Blocked and Reported. Check us out at blockedandreported.org. You can sign up to become a primo there where for a very affordable monthly fee, you get extra content, access to our weekly open threads. Uh, You'll be part of a community of, what is it, around 11,000 people now? It's absolutely crazy. Our most recent premium episode was about this uh, New York Times Magazine profile of post-conviction, pre-incarceration Elizabeth Holmes that got a lot of people hot. Liz. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry, Liz. Liz, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I think you're a hero. You're my girl boss forever. Uh, yeah, this got a lot of media types hot and bothered. It was another accusation that the New York Times was like whitewashing evil or whatever. So you can check that out. Merch, barpodmerch.com. And check out our Reddit at blockedandreported.reddit.com. Katie, I have heard a lot about this segment you're about to do. I have no idea what to expect. Um, I'm in the blind seat, though, so I should be blinding myself, right? Yeah, put on your get mask right now. I'm just going to pop out my eyeballs. Hold up. There's one. Okay. Are you Ben Dreyfus? There's two. <laughs> Dude, that's, uh, that's a little ableist. All right. Lay it on me. What's he your, would appreciate that. This person, this is involved someone named Jackie. Okay, Jesse, yes. You are in for a wild ride today. This is the craziest story I've ever worked on, including our 10-part investigation into exactly what a daisy chain is. <laughs> we might actually have to make this a two-parter. We'll see how long it goes today. Okay, so this is a very twisting tale. It concerns doxing, swatting, Norm MacDonald, a sci-fi author, a Swedish national, the worst people on the internet, and much more. But our story starts with a woman named Jackie. Keffels. Uh. <laughs> Are you familiar with Jackie Singh? No. Okay, so Jackie describes herself on Twitter as a cybersecurity pro. She also runs a website called hackingbutlegal.com where she writes about cybersecurity and other stuff. I read a bunch of her articles and I would describe them as vaguely paranoid, softly paranoid. Like she has a recent article about Michael Hastings. Do you remember him? Uh, Yeah, but remind me. He was an investigative journalist who died in 2013 in a single car crash. He himself was a national security reporter. He also had manic episodes. And in the weeks before he died, according to his brother, he was in one of those episodes and he was increasingly paranoid that the government or other nefarious forces were tracking him. Specifically, he thought someone was controlling his car. So when his car crashed into a palm tree going 80 miles an hour in the middle of the night, a bunch of conspiracy theories sprang up to explain this including, naturally, that the car had been hacked. So his death was ruled an accident. His friends and family think it was an accident. But a lot of outsiders thought it was suspicious, including Jackie Singh. And to be clear, this was a very common opinion at the time. There was a lot of reporting on the possibility that this was murder. But she recently published an article about this that seems to me to be sort of pulling at random threads. Like, her article is about Joseph Flynn, who is the brother of General Michael Flynn, because he tweeted, quote, Michael H. had some problems with his car that night. Too bad, so sad. Wait, so it was just an article based entirely on like one shitposting mean tweet? It was a couple tweets, just like general, same general shitposty tone. And Michael Hastings had reported on General Flynn in the past. So the implication here, her implication, is that his surfer brother knows something about something. But this is just idle speculation on her part. And this seems to be a pattern with Jackie, as we'll get to later. So that was one of her articles. They aren't all like that. They aren't all as conspiracy theorish. But I did leave her site convinced my Roomba is spying on me. That makes, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. My my Alexas will just randomly start talking 
So I, I do think we're being spied on. That's not very paranoid. Yeah, my Roomba Mopsy, she's always going into my bedroom and sweeping up. It's very weird. Okay, so the reason that we're talking about Sing today is because on April 25th, she published an article accusing a Swedish man of orchestrating hundreds of swatting attempts. We're going to get to that later, but first, Singh has a very interesting backstory of her own. So in 2020, she she joined the Biden campaign as a cybersecurity advisor, and then shortly after that, the Washington Examiner's Joe Simonson published an article called Senior Biden Campaign Cybersecurity Expert Participated in Racist Internet Troll Group. So that article is about Jackie Singh, and it claims from 2009 to 2016, she was an affiliate of a, the hacking organization. Um, actually, Jesse, there's something in my eye. Can you just read this for me? It's in the notes. Organization. <laughs> All right. Um, it's called the Gay N-Word Association of America, which was at one time led by white nationalist Andrew Arnheimer. <laughs> you did write out the word. I am not going to read it. You keep you. Why oh do you God. always send me that word, Katie? Like this word is going to come up a couple times in this show. We're just you're just gonna have to deal with it. We're just gonna have to deal with it. All right, but regardless, like you're a member of that group, right? Just explain what it is. The GNAA. Yeah. It looks like a very trolly, racist, homophobic. Like, I mean, it seems like it would. So, and okay, Andrew Arnheimer, the term white nationalist gets thrown around a lot. Andrew Arnheimer is an actual Nazi. He's weave, right? I always forget. Yes, yes. Weave, yeah. Uh, he's an actual, he's like a neo Nazi. So, if this organization was led by weave and Jackie Singh was in this organization, yes, that is a pretty big deal. That is not some like weird guilt by association thing. Okay, she was not in the organization. And the, the Washington Examiner is very clear about this. She was an affiliate of the organization. So, But first, the, the organization itself, it's not like just a neo-Nazi group at all. It's, it's so much group. more. Yeah. So, so we've spent 13 months, months in federal prison for hacking and identity theft, at which point his sentence was vacated on a technicality. So basically, a court ruled that the location of his trial was improper. This was not my world. So I first heard of him just really just a few years ago when a writer named Quinn Norton was hired and then immediately fired by the New York Times, like six hours after they announced her hiring, when people started complaining that she was friends with Weave. Do you remember this? Yeah. And this this was more of a guilt by association thing because totally. like, I don't know, if you report on internet bullshit, I, th I think that was her background, right? Like reporting on internet culture stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, it, yeah, hacking what, culture she, stuff like that. Yeah. She was from like the kinds of circles where like you might've interacted with unsavory people and- I don't know. I'm not of the view that if you've had like a jokey interaction with a Nazi before, that means you shouldn't be able to work in media, but whatever. People can look up that controversy. Quinn was, was genuinely friends with him, but she didn't agree with him. I'm also friends with a hardened racist. He lives across the street from me. He's not online. You're, bathing, you're bathing him right now. <laughs> you have me on a video feed. It's very I'm, it's hot. I'm filing his toenails right now. But, but Weave is pretty famous in that world. And the GNAA, as we're going to call it, uh, they were behind a number of pranks and hoaxes. Some of them were benign and some of them were malicious. Like at one point, and I'm not sure if this one falls under the category of benign or malicious, but they convinced a CNN reporter that one in three Americans thought that Israeli agents carried out 9-11. That's the kind of <laughs> shit they do. And that's like, that's such like bait because like it would prove certain narratives about how like evil or racist or anti-Semitic Americans are. Yeah. They got a CNN reporter to actually like report that as real. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so, so the Washington Examiner, they don't claim that Singh was a member of the GNAA. They claim that she was affiliated with them. So basically, she was pals with them. And this was through an IRC chat. So that's an internet relay chat. This one was called 2600. It's basically a message board. And it was popular with like hackers and GNAA members. And Jackie used to post there a lot under the name Jax. Or she allegedly used to post there under the name Jax. This is a quote from the Examiner. Throughout the logs seen by the Washington Examiner, Singh repeatedly uses racial slurs and off-color jokes in conversation with other members. In one instance, she expresses frustration that the use of the N-word had been banned from the IRC channel. Other times, Singh justifies the use of the word, recounting frustrations with job recruiters. So at the time, she didn't, when this was published, she denied being a part of the GNAA or the chat group. In a statement, she said, these accusations are categorically untrue, and the words falsely attributed to me are anathema to the values I've embraced and championed in my life. I've never been a member of that group, and the chat logs have been faked and promoted by individuals as part of an ongoing online harassment campaign. 
But the thing is, there's a history of her interacting with Weave on Twitter. At one point, she calls him a friend in archive tweets. Our furry friend Trace, he got in touch with Jackie. She once again denied that she was friends with Weave. She said, Regrettably, I formally referred to many tweets as friend, and I might not have been aware to whom I was speaking. It seems highly unlikely that someone in cybersecurity in this world wouldn't know who this guy is. Not know who Weave was, yeah. She said that whoever archived that particular tweet where she called him a friend is part of a campaign to associate her with white supremacists. Quote, I have no relationship with this person. I imagine my extensive activism in combination with my election work led to my targeting by bad actors who wanted me fired from the campaign. That might be true, but it also might be true that she was just a former edgelord and she's trying to hide it. Yeah. I mean, she's not white, so I doubt she's an actual white supremacist. But her claim that she was never in these IRC chats, that doesn't really hold up because the examiner got photos of her at gatherings with members of these of this chat. In real life. And they got Yeah, in real life. And Joe Simonson also got an archive of her now deleted live journal, and the language is very similar to these chats. He reports that in the live journal, she quote, boasts about hacking into the laptop of her neighbor, a purported Halliburton employee, and describing the victim with homophobic slurs. Now, this happened a long time ago when being an edgelord was like like considered more ironic and not necessarily a reflection of deeply held racist beliefs. I mean, clearly being friends with Weave is a liability, like look at what happened at Quinn Norton. So I can see why she's trying to disassociate herself from her past. But the examiner got the receipts. Plus, Weave himself wrote about her on his blog in 2018, so two years before she was hired by the Biden campaign. Here's a quote from his blog. Actually, Jesse, why don't you read that paragraph too? <laughs> you have something else in your eye? <laughs> I've known Jax for decades, and she was a regular in hashtag GNAA. That's the Gay Bleep Association of America. For those un- uninitiated, <laughs> she has, in my conversations with her, uttered the following words. <sighs> <laughs> a, 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 a negative slur for gay people, a negative slur for Asian people, a different negative slur for Asian people, a negative slur for black people, a ne- different negative slur for black people, a different and negative slur for black people, and, and kike. kike. <laughs> she has made several rape jokes and laughed at those made by others. But why, why should we... we these, this is the kind of thing that this sort of troll would do. Be like, yep, she said all these bad words. We'll get, we'll get to this, Jesse. We'll get to this. So in this blog post, he also said that she remained friends with him after he got a giant swastika tattoo on his chest. And the reason that he wrote this blog post, by the way, was because Singh, she was going under her married name at the time, Jackie Stokes, she posted a list of alleged rapists in the hacker world and accused another hacker of being a spy. So Weave took issue with this. Weave does this as like payback? Yeah. He says she's a hypocrite and even worse, she's a fed. Okay. So we wanted to fact check this. So... Trace texted Weave. You still there? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you're like out walking your dog off leash, pretending to ignore the guy saying it's illegal when it probably is. Trace, go talk to Weave. Let's remember to give the very good boy an extra bowl of treats today. Okay, so... He gets an extra hour outside his crate tonight. (laughs) Off leash. So Weave responded. He said that she was an active participant in the channel. She was friends with everyone. And that friendship ended when she, quote, decided to run a smear campaign against a well-known hacker who was getting military tribunaled in the Middle East. She certainly never had a moral crisis where she decided to disassociate from everyone. Everyone cut off with her because she was a traitorous, scheming bitch who would do whatever the feds told her to, regardless of who she was injuring. She started doing liberal anti-racist activism because it was pragmatic to do so after Trump got elected. So Trace asked Weave if he kept any logs of of the IRC chat. We was like, no, dude, I'm not stupid. I don't keep chat, lo- chat logs, you fucking dumbass. Weave is a known troll. He's not a reliable character. We have little reason to trust him. But Trace also got some of the logs from a different source. And they are as the examiner described them. I saw them. At one point, she talks about a fantasy she has about murdering her then-husband's ex. She gives the woman's phone number and address to one of her hacker friends. Of course, she insists these were faked. But I just think the photos, the tweets, the live journal, I think the bulk of the evidence points in one direction. And that direction is that she was an edgelord. Right. And just to be clear, that evidence is like we have photos of her hanging out with these people in real life. Those people are the same people who participated in this IRC chat room. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Now, the question of whether or not any of this is pertinent to her employment is another thing. The Washington Examiner, they clearly think it is. I mean, 
this a conservative paper. They were talking about someone in the Biden campaign. But I actually don't think it is. I don't think that being an exlord when you're younger like should means that you shouldn't be able to have a job when you're older. What do you think? No, I agree with you on that. How long ago was this, though? What was the gap? So she was in the chat from tw- 2009 to 2016. Okay, so you're talking like by her last alleged involvement, like just it was just seven years, Jesse. No, no. If she st- when did she start working for Biden? No, 2020. So four years after. Yeah, I don't know. I think if she hadn't done anything since then, I don't want people fired over old stuff. Of course, the prevailing view is that like you should be fired if you did one offensive thing once forever ago. But I don't agree right. with that. I just think that people's job performance is much more important than their character. <laughs> I, I will say that like at the at the I don't know, like I went to public policy school and I have friends who have like worked in the White House and stuff and these are like the most some Trump, of the most prestigious you're friends with Trump, aren't you? Yeah, Trump. The Trump White House, of course. I didn't know anyone in government before Trump was elected. These are some of the most prestigious government jobs and a lot of people want them and you're held to a very high standard. So there is just sort of like a market explanation. It's like a labor market explanation. It's like, well, we would rather have someone here who doesn't have that baggage and we have 5,000 options. So I don't think you can necessarily complain. We'll hire Sam Brin. He's got tons of baggage. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Nice. <laughs> okay. So at some point, Singh stopped posting racial slurs. Presumably she put her pronouns in her bio and she joined the Biden campaign. Today, she's basically a mainstream liberal, liberal, Although she also runs a bizarre AI like art porn account where she generates sh- <laughs> or shares nudes of women in hijabs, as well as actually, Jesse, why don't you just click this link and describe it? Am I, is this going to be a, a happy click or a sad click? <laughs> just do it. Just do I'm it. I'm clicking it. <laughs> and no, no. Describe, please. I feel, okay. I feel like I don't know who, okay. It's an AI image of. Uh, one guy butt fucking another. There's no other. There's no polite way to say that. It's Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. It's, no, I was gonna say the guy on the left looks like Putin, but with more hair and healthier. Okay, so Putin is having sex with Ping. This has two likes. It should have way more. <laughs> should I retweet it from the Blotter Report account? Yeah, and Ping describe the size of of Xi Jinping's wiener. It looks like a it looks like a beanie weenie. He's he's the one being penetrated. His wiener, as the very polite term <laughs> you used, is very small but very erect. <laughs> yeah. It's cute. I'm gonna, hold on. I'm going to make this my wallpaper. <laughs> okay. So she's good liberal. This is good liberal AI art. So that's... Okay, wait. So this is... Okay, and she's confirmed... Wait, she's sorry. She still works for Biden? Or are we getting to that? No. She worked for the campaign. Okay, she worked for the campaign. Gotcha. Okay, so that was early but before 2020, but... Okay, so now she's doing these other things. She's creating AI art of a very... Very jacked Vladimir Putin, by the way. I've seen it. We've all seen him shirtless. This is not what he looks like. His traps are amazing. This is what I look like after a day at Planet Fitness. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, I get that. I don't need to look at this any longer. I get the point. Okay. So, that is Jackie Singh. Former edgelord, current upstanding citizen, and cybersecurity excerpt slash blogger with an interesting hobby. And the article that caused all this latest drama, which I mentioned earlier, it was called The Swedish Connection, Unraveling America's Swatting Terror. Again, she published this on her website, hackingbutlegal.com. Actually, Jesse, I'm going to ask you to read the beginning of this of this piece, not because there's any racial slurs in it. I just need to rest my voice. On April 13th, Vice News' Joseph Cox revealed a startling expose unearthing a nefarious telegram group that performed swatting services for payment. For those unacquainted with the term, swatting refers to the malicious act of placing a fabricated call, often involving a violent crime, to a target's home with the intent of provoking an armed police response. Cox's article, well, you're not putting a call to a target's home. You're calling the call it's just, anyway. Continue. Cox's article states that a series of false 911 calls and bomb threats have been made across the United States, allegedly by this individual or group. The unsettling implication is that since these criminals operate through Telegram, a messaging platform once based in the Russian Federation, but now based seemingly nowhere, they seemingly remain beyond the reach of U.S. authorities. Thank you for that, Jesse. So the vice piece is interesting. Cox describes a user who goes by the name TorSwat, who runs a Telegram-based swatting for for higher service. Telegram is a messaging app, and, and like notoriously like hard to. It's like super encrypted. I think you can't can't really be cracked. I don't think. Yeah. So like you want to call in a bomb threat to a school, 
$75. You want to get someone handcuffed and their house searched? $50, please. The seller calls in a threat that can't be ignored, then sits back and watches the fireworks. So Singh sees this article, and she decides to investigate it for herself. She gets on Telegram. She searches for tour swats, and she finds a group where someone is selling swats. She includes a, pr- a price list in her article, and if you're running low on cash, it's only $40 to call in a gas leak or 35 for returning customers. So she has a particular interest in swatting because she says she spent the past several years investigating cybercrimes, particularly swatting, committed against a Milwaukee-based sci-fi author named Patrick Tomlinson. Jesse, have you ever heard of Patrick Tomlinson? Sounds familiar, but I, I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. Now we have to go on a side journey, and this is where shit gets very, very dark. He's not particularly famous, at least for his writing. He's written six books about space. Here's, here's a description of one of them. This is called The Ark. We read that. Humankind has escaped a dying Earth and set out to find a new home among the stars aboard an immense generation ship affectionately named The Ark. Brian Benson is the Ark's greatest living sports hero, enjoying retirement working as a detective in Avalon, his home module. The hours are good, the work is easy, and the perks can't be beat. But when a crew member goes missing, Brian is thrust into the center of an ever-expanding web of deception, secrets, and violence that overturns everything he knows about living on the Ark and threatens everyone aboard. Okay, so standard sci-fi. And on Twitter, Patrick is your – he's your basic libtard. Actually, he's not your basic libtard. He's a little bit more of a libtard than your average libtard, and I say that as your average libtard. He's gone viral a few times for various pro-choice, anti-Trump tweets, lots of anti-MAGA stuff, Trump is a fascist, punch Nazis – He's a little self-righteous. He definitely feels like he has the moral high ground. Nothing out of the ordinary on hashtag resistance Twitter. But the tweet that would change his life was not political. It was in 2018, and he tweeted, Hot take. I've never thought Norm MacDonald was funny and was pretty sure all my comedy friends who did were either nuts or screwing with me. So at the time, the reason Norm MacDonald was in the news was because he defended his friends Louis C.K. and Roseanne Barr. So his tweet in that context, it's a little bit virtue signally. It's not just a random, I don't think Norm MacDonald is funny. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he did a bad thing and also I never thought he was funny. The tweet didn't get that much attention on Twitter. It currently has 16 retweets, 10 quote tweets, and less than 300 likes. It did, however, get a shit ton of attention on one particular subreddit, the subreddit r slash Opie and Anthony. Jesse, do you know about Opie and Anthony? Yeah, there were these shock jocks who I, I think started in Boston. And they did. as hard as it is to believe, I think they had something called Whip Him Out Wednesdays that would encourage their young male listeners to like pull up to women and try to get them to take out their breasts. The world was very different in the 90s. Oh, I thought you meant they were going to pull up to women and pull out their dicks. Yes, yeah, that too. Uh, wait, let me make sure this was at because when you pull out your dick, somebody just flashes their tits at you. Whip him out Wednesday. Yeah, it was at WAF, which is a Boston station, where the show started its long-running Whip Him Out Wednesday segment that involves women flashing their breasts. To, uh, that's problematic. So the show aired for about twenty years. It was canceled in twenty fourteen when Anthony was fired by Sirius XM for posting quote racially charged and hate filled remarks on social media. The third co-host, by the way, he was fired a few years later for filming an employee on the toilet. Note to self, check with HR for bar part policies on that. So r slash Opie and Anthony was eventually banned from Reddit, but the users seem to be everything people think Kiwi Farms users are. And some and some Kiwi Farms users are, to be clear. Sure. But just wait. Just wait. So well after the actual radio show was canceled, the, u- the users targeted and trolled people who annoyed them, mostly liberals. People like Patrick. And while Kiwi Farms at least makes a pretense of asking people not to interact with what they call lol cows, the subjects of their interest, or as they put it, don't touch the poo, the ONA subreddit touched the poo. They were covered in the poo. Because the subreddit was banned, we don't have the thread, but we do have a screenshot of the post that started this campaign against Patrick Tomlinson. It reads... So I'm drinking early and kind of bored and saw this post about this fag shitting on Norm with Nana, I don't know who that is, off social media. I feel like we're in a bit of a lull, so feel free to join me in fucking with this dork. He seems feisty. His Twitter name is at StealthyGeek, and he writes shitty-looking sci-fi, and he's calling me out for not getting pussy. So <laughs> He's calling me out for not getting pussy. I'm getting pussy. 
I'm getting pussy right now. I'm typing this from inside a pussy. <laughs> I'm typing this from in. I have to reach my arm out. I'm swipe typing. <laughs> so the degenerates on the subreddit, they then make it their mission to torture this guy, Patrick, Aye. for the high crime of saying that Norm MacDonald isn't funny and in general being an annoying libtard as they see it. They have his phone number. They have his email address. They have his home address. They spam his Am- Amazon reviews. They get him banned from Twitter multiple times. They do anything and everything to get reactions from Patrick Tomlinson. And then when he reacts, and he always reacts, they laugh about it. There's an Encyclopedia Dramatica entry on Patrick. Why don't you read this, Jesse? Patrick, well, do people know what Encyclopedia Dramatica is? Why don't you explain first? It's like an encyclopedia of internet figures written in like a pretty cruel, trolly, Kiwi Farms-ish way. So yeah, here's the entry for Patrick Tomlinson. Patrick S. Tomlinson a.k.a. Fat Trick, is a fat, failed sci-fi author locale who abandoned his daughter after being cucked, oh God, and spends his 40s arguing with people on Twitter in hopes of saving his dead, quote-unquote, writing career. He gained notoriety in late 2018 from the Opie and Anthony subreddit over comments he made about Norm MacDonald and has since then been the target of the subreddit's wrath. He's a source of entertainment for many people and the subject of defamatory documentaries and even video games. <laughs> Oh, I feel bad for this dude, even if he does seem annoying. Fatrick aggressively feeds the trolls in an effort to draw attention to himself in hopes of saving his failed writing career, but has been unsuccessful thus far, ostensibly due to his status as a straight white male. They are very mean to Patrick. They are very mean to Patrick. And he's written about this campaign against them. Here's an excerpt from his blog. And I think this itself sort of explains why he has become such a target. In today's social media environment, being politically outspoken and possessing any measure of reach and influence paints a target on anyone's back. Media figures, celebrities, and creatives are all too familiar with the fire hose of targeted harassment and trolling that comes with the territory of daring to voice an opinion, especially women. It's not really about being politically outspoken and having reach. There's... Look, anyone can be the target of like internet ire and him finding himself in this firestorm for criticizing Norm MacDonald is very random. It's because he came to the attention of a, like a malicious subreddit. But, and this is what's often left out, you're not supposed to say like a lot of people do make things much worse for themselves harassment wise because they just can't stop rising to the bait and responding. Whereas the thing to do if you find yourself in this situation is to like shut things down for a few days and just stay offline and it'll, it'll usually pass. Also just the way he's like, especially women, I don't know, he, he's just like more signaling. Right. So there are 70 comments on this article and a bunch of them are tagged moderator edit because it turns out that he could go edit the comments telling him, calling him a faggot and telling him to go fuck himself. So he did. So the comments will read something like this. This is one of them. Moderator edit. I've spent the last four weeks shitting my brains with, out with rage over your continued success and popularity. It's a defense mechanism I use to avoid any sort of self-reflection that would lead me to consider why I spend so much time trying in vain to ruin strangers online with vulgar attacks and childish behavior when I could direct the time and energy into improving myself and elevate my place in the world. It goes on. Basically, someone said something nasty to Patrick and he went in and, and, and edited the comment. Rewrote the comment. Right. For and he did yeah. this on like most of the comments on the page. So that blog post was was written in 2018, shortly after all this started. It is still going on today. And in fact, it has gotten much, much worse. It is just endless harassment against this guy. Like, like, for instance, someone contacted Patrick pretending to be a journalist named Josiah, did two hours of interviews with him, and then posted this. Hello, this is Patrick. Hey, Patrick, this is Josiah. Sorry for the late call. Um, I just wanted to let you know that I spoke to my supervisor, and uh, she says that you're a fat faggot with bitch tits, so uh, the article is canceled. <laughs> yeah, he just hung up. Fuck! All right, whatever. It's going to get blown anyway, so... <laughs> All right. That's not, uh, that's not nice. But who has all that time on their hand to spend two hours interviewing him just for like that punchline? Just for kicks. This is a, this is a straight up hobby for some people. And Patrick really is. There's too many underemployed two online young men. And that is the cause of so many problems. Yeah. Although it's good for the show. Well, or is it? We'll find out. So Patrick really is a victim here. I want to be clear about that. But his reaction to all this is, I think, partly why it's gone on for so long, because Patrick feeds the trolls. He cannot seem to help himself. He is their locale, and he keeps offering up the teat. will never run dry. So, for instance, at some point, Patrick posted a bunch of selfies, captioned hitting the gym, 
These were reposted to the subreddit r slash autism by one of his trolls. One photo of Patrick got 2,600 comments, and a bunch of them were from Patrick himself because he decided to respond to people making fun of him by, in particular, calling them mentally ill children over and over. Patrick, no. When is he going to learn his lesson? There's a YouTube account called Porcelain that documents this kind of online drama. Porcelain made a video reading just- And that's spelled just misleadingly if people want to look it up. P-O-R-S-A-L-I-N. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Porcelain made a video, uh, like a reading, a dramatic reading of one of just one of these exchanges between Patrick and an account called- uh, uh, Jesse, there's something in my eye again. Can you Can you read that name? Uh-huh, uh-huh, N-word underscore rapist. I'm going to play a clip from this video now. So this is someone reading this exchange, and it starts with Patrick asking the moderators to remove the post, and then it goes to the troll's comment, and then back to Patrick, and on and on and on. It's the same read- person reading both, so it's slightly confusing, but I think our listeners will understand it. Hello, moderators. This is an image of me stolen by cyberstalkers from the band r slash Opie and Anthony subreddit. Most of the comments in the thread below are also from the cyberstalkers brigading your sub. I am not autistic, and the OP does not have permission to use my copyrighted image. Please remove the post and ban all of the troll accounts associated with it. Thank you. Do you consume child feces purely for sexual purposes? Or is there also a spiritual aspect? That is not something I do for any reason. Mentally ill person with a racial slur username. Do you kill the black babies before raping them? You are mentally ill, child. Seek professional help. You are fat and gay, and your wife enjoys getting gangbanged while you get drunker and fatter at hooligans. Nothing you say has ever or will ever be true, mentally ill child. I swear under penalty of death that Patrick S. Tomlinson once burrowed deep into the ground underneath a local preschool, then rerouted their sewage to his basement so that he would always have a fresh supply of child feces to consume for sexual purposes. You are mentally ill. Seek professional help. You're gay and Trump is still your president. Wrong twice, child. Have any of your victims ever managed to escape? If so, do you pursue them or let them go? I don't have any victims, child. My sister runs an organization called the Patrick S. Tomlinson Underground Railroad, specifically for victims of yours who managed to escape, child. There are over 5,000 kids being taken care of there, child. You are mentally ill, child. Seek professional help for your obsession and delusions. Child, soon your pedophilic actions shall be revealed to the world along with your racist plan to end the Jews for good. I have neither actions nor plans to reveal, child. You are mentally ill. Seek professional help. We are aware of your heinous plots, Fatrick. Soon the House of Cards will fall, and you will meet your fate, just as Hitler did before you. Holy shit, dude. He just can't stop. Yeah, and the full video is almost six minutes long, and Patrick just keeps responding over and over. You are mentally ill, child. You are mentally ill, child. And this obviously doesn't make them stop. It eggs them on. They know that he's reading everything they post, and they seem to get off on torturing him. It got so bad on the Opie and Anthony subreddit that one of the mods tried to ban posts about Patrick, and then he basically became the new Patrick, if you know what I'm saying. Oh my god, no. And people have gone to crazy lengths. They even got a very special guest to weigh in on this via Cameo. Jesse, watch this video. Hey, this is Norm MacDonald here, and this is a message for all of Patrick's friends. Uh, I want you to stop picking on your friend Pat. After all, and I quote, his only crime was that he didn't find Norm MacDonald funny. Wait a minute here. I'm Norm MacDonald. Huh. And I am funny. Please continue insulting that fat loser. Oh my God, that probably just made things even worse. That's crazy. Right, right. Norm MacDonald, they got the actual Norm MacDonald. And it's just endless. And some of it's just annoying and juvenile, but not really dangerous. Like just this week, someone claimed to hold the copyright of of Patrick's Twitter avatar, his author photo, Twitter removed his own photo from his profile, and now all of these trolls are using it. And then some of what people do to him is legitimately dangerous and criminal. Patrick says he's been swatted over 40 times, and that in itself is kind of crazy, like they should probably call first. He's also gotten explicit death threats. Someone called in a bomb threat at a conference he was at, as well as at a Patty LaBelle conference in Milwaukee. They used his name. 2,000 people had to be evacuated from the venue. They know he's a big baseball fan, and he goes to the opening Brewers game every year. So this year, they called in a bomb threat to the stadium using his name. 
His wife has been targeted. His ex-wife has been targeted. His elderly parents have been swatted. He's been stalked in person with people posting his location in real time and showing up at the bar where he's a regular. He says that one of them drove from Indianapolis to Milwaukee, where he lives, went to the bar and demanded that the staff tell him where Patrick lived. At one point, there was an accidental an accidental fire at the bar, at this bar where he's a regular, and they called in anonymous tips accusing him of arson. He says that a stalker flew from Boston to Milwaukee, filmed the front of his house, and put it up on YouTube, set to the song, Someone's Watching Me. Oh, and went to the bar, live streamed for a half hour with a pair of crocheted voodoo dolls. Jesus Christ. Really, really fucked up. Patrick says he's reported this harassment to the police dozens of times, and the only time they do anything about it is when he's swatted and they come running to his house with their weapons drawn. This is, uh, yeah, this is beyond horrible. Obviously, I stand by the points I made about how you can make online trolling worse, but this is a whole other level that's like rare. And uh, yes, he is very much a victim here. This is hard to imagine dealing with this. So the Daily Beast covered this in 2022. Here's a quote from that piece. This is describing a swatting attempt. This was in 2020. The swatting attempt took place right after stalkers had created a fake Craigslist ad and using the the writer's name, home address, and phone number, claiming Tomlinson was giving away free pepperoni made from the bodies of African-American children kidnapped in his neighborhood. Two months later, one of Tomlinson's harassers filmed themselves trespassing on his property while dropping pieces of pepperoni on the front steps in a seemingly mocking reference to the previous swatting attempt. An anonymous YouTube account also put together a Tomlinson pepperoni commercial in June 2020 featuring a spokeswoman selling pepperoni made from local Milwaukee urban young black meats alongside images of Tomlinson's home and address. The video was remarkably still online until the Daily Beast reached out to YouTube for comment this past week. Uh, I'm wordless. I don't know how it's insane. Yeah, so Patrick says that Kiwi Farms is a secondary source of this harassment. There's a gigantic, he has like a thousand page thread on Kiwi Farms. They catalog every tweet and post in order to make fun of him. It's not hard to find material, to be honest. Like he can be braggadocious and self-righteous and combative. He picks fights. They also find any tweet that seems inconsistent with his story and they pounce on it. Like in- inconsistent how? Okay, so some of it is just silly. Like at one point, Patrick wrote that he's never been fat. When look at pictures of him, he's clearly been fat in his life. You can see that in pics. They like there's this like thread cre- cre- questioning his running speed. They like mapped out a race that he did, stuff like that. He also at one point said he's not in debt. When in reality, his debt is documented on the public record. At one point, he said he didn't care about Kiwi Farms, said they weren't the problem or the source of the harassment. And then after Kiwi Farms became this massive media story, when the streamer Cuffles claimed she'd been swatted by them and they subsequently were shut down, listen to our 20-part series on that, he tweeted, I have a thread on Kiwi Farms. The very first post doxes my phone number and address. It's been up for years. The thread has grown to more than 1,050 pages of stalking and harassment. We've been trespassed, vandalized, IDs stolen, death threats swatted four times. Hashtag drop Kiwi Farms. So basically, when Kiwi Farms became a thing, he kind of got in on it. There are some inconsistencies in his stories, although I do think a lot of this is the equivalent of lying about your height. Like, he said he wasn't fat when he was fat. Okay, sure. But it's become a running storyline on various forums that Patrick is lying about the swatting and the harassment, and he's been lying about it since before the Norm tweet. Is there any evidence to suggest that's true? Okay, so this is what they consider evidence. Patrick tweeted this in April 2018. So this is six months before, about six months before the Norm tweet. He's responding to someone. He says, because I have personally been doxxed, received more than a dozen death threats, been called out by name by the NRA as a target for my gun control advocacy, and have had crazy people come directly to my house intent on harming my family. So this was April 2018. The Norm tweet was in September. So the argument goes, basically, he was claiming that this shit happened before anyone had heard of him. And so I, I asked Patrick about this. He had an answer. He said that this doxing, pre-Norm doxing, this happened after he wrote an article for US News and World Report on gun control. He says he was called out by name on an episode of NRA TV by then-host Greg Stitchfield. He says this was back in 2017. I couldn't find that show or any record of that particular show. 
But the article is real. And frankly, it's not that hard to believe that getting called out by name on NRA TV would result in some harassment. And what about like the the number of times he's been swatted? Because in this August 2022 tweet about Kiwi Farms, he mentions being swatted four times. But then another point you mentioned the number was 40. So I noticed that too. And the swatting, Patrick says the swatting has really ramped up in recent months. Now he says it's up to 40 times. I wanted to verify this. So I did file a a public records request with the Milwaukee Police Department. It was very quickly denied, citing an ongoing investigation. Patrick has tweeted some of the swattings along with pictures from his door cam. So there's that record. And he also keeps a log. The log he sent me wasn't fully complete. It was like 2022 just through this March. But I checked a number of those at random and they did check out. And it has really accelerated recently. Like he told me in April, there was a 36 hour period where there were seven swatting attempts that did check out. Uh, There was also one yesterday, incidentally, at 620 in the morning, according to the police blotter. Patrick says he slept through that and didn't even realize it had happened until he checked his door cam. Uh, Whoever it was called in a shooting. It's usually that shootings or bomb threats. So, we, and we don't, I mean, I guess there's a lot of suspects, but we don't know who's doing this. That, Jesse, is the question. But we're about out of time and I'm losing my voice, so it's going to have to wait for part two. Yep, we're doing a two-parter, folks. This is my Keffels. Yes, let's do that. I look forward to hearing how this circles back to Jackie Singh. This has been Blocked Reported. As always, we are produced with help from Tracy Woodgrains and the Mysterious Lex. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, I can't wait to hear what happens. And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember... If you are ever tempted to tweet some mild criticism of Norm MacDonald, do yourself a favor and cut off your thumbs first.